0: Welcome to Working Dog Wednesday, only on the Fueled by Joy Working Dog Podcast. As always, we are brought to you by Joy Dog Food. I'm your host, Josh Michaelis. Remember, for more information about Joy Dog Food and to find a joy dealer near you, visit joydogfood.com. Now, on to the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with my hero, Brett Vaughn. (laughs) (laughs) Brett, how are you, buddy? I'm doing fine. Fine. Thank you. If folks that don't know, because I am going to get a lot of coon hunters that listen to this, but Born 100 Years Too Late, uh, that is your YouTube channel. That's where I first heard of you. You know, because I'm going through the computer and I'm, you know, typing in hounds and hunting dogs and whatever. I never did mules, but <laughs> there's this here's this guy with his hounds and a mule, and I thought it was pretty cool, and I've been following you for quite a while. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate you sitting down here with me, Brett. And uh, I called you this morning. You said I'd, you had a lion track going. How'd that go? I think we were backwards on it.
1: Really? Uh, we started it. Yeah, we started it down low. And uh, probably not. I'd caught an old, old female lion, probably not. 300 yards from where we started this. And uh, I never could find a track. And, uh, of course I'm hunting in the dirt and I'm not on my mule. I'm on foot. And, uh, they take off and, you know, of course it's lying hunting in the dirt. So it's kind of slow going anyway. Yeah. And they're just trailing up the, up through this old rough Canyon into some bluffs, you know, and I keep going with them, keep hoping I'll find a track and, and, uh, something like you know, I got to thinking about while I was out there doing it, I thought, you know, there's so many variables that you have to pay attention to when you're doing this, because, you know, they, they, they trailed up into a a protected kind of a shady Canyon with a lot of rock. Mm -hmm. And they had started it down below and they started it in some greasewood and kind of dirt. And when they got up there in that better country, you know, probably five or 600 yards from where we started, it, it, it just kept slowing down, kept slowing down. And I just, but no, you know, we, we gotta be backwards on it, but then I, you know, then you also think about what, you know, I was hunting with a, a real good dry ground lion hunter and, and, uh, we got up in a, a bluff and we just sat and watched the dogs and I kept wanting to move the dogs and he kept saying, no, no, wait, they weren't even opening up or anything. They were just kind of milling around up there on the mountain He kept telling me, no, no, let's just wait. Let's just wait. Just sit here and wait and watch, wait and watch. And I mean, it was 45 minutes. And then all of a sudden, bam, there was a lion on a rock. And I thought, how many times have I been impatient and thought, oh, we need to move somewhere else. Oh, we need to move those dogs into a saddle somewhere else. And
0: there was a lion just hiding in there. So yeah, you know, just keep trying to learn. What the... It's got to be pretty difficult to tell the difference between going backwards and them and dry ground stuff, the dog's just hitting a rough patch, you know, that, that peters out, you know, the, the scent starts to get rougher, everything gets redder, And to me, it would look like a backwards track, but I wonder how often it actually is.
1: Uh, you know, I'll go with what Warner Glenn said. He said, you know, my dogs trail them as good backwards as they do forwards. And he said, sometimes I think backwards better, you know, they're, they're, they're going backwards most of the time. And if you read like uh, Steve Smith is another, you know, he's in the same group as like Warner Glenn, you know, he, he can kind of, he says, if you're trailing backwards and they lose, let's see, make sure I get this right. They'll turn a bobcat track around, but they won't hardly turn a a, a lion track around. So if they turn a bobcat track, if they turn the track around on their own, then he thinks that they're what he would consider trash. They're trashing on a bobcat really
0: so, yeah yeah huh. let not be yeah. all kinds
1: of stuff oh you know and i i look back and think about when i started and i thought man how dumb i was <laughs> and i, wonder, still I dumb. wonder it
0: i say i wonder if in 10 15 20 years you're going to look back to today and be like what on earth was i thinking that time oh i can look back on yesterday and uh <laughs>
1: think why in the world did you do that or why did you let those dogs do that did you did you really you know because it it, it, i think if what's really hard is is foxes you know and i've talked to a lot of guys some guys don't worry about foxes and some guys you know said no you got to break your dogs off foxes and i think i've trailed my share of foxes thinking they were
0: lions yeah you guys got grays or reds out there grays gray so they will tree. a yeah, gray wheel yeah. right yeah yeah so we don't I've have tre- any grays we got very we got very few reds and no gray zero gray yeah and so yeah i mean well our dogs sometimes it's a fox ours are different it's if they run trash for a while we don't care you know it's not a big deal yeah. if they want to run a fox for a while or a coyote or a deer and they want to fall off on a hot coon we got enough coon tracks around but you guys you know they can run a, a bobcat or a anything for a long time before they run across the hot lion track. <laughs> so we yeah. gotta keep him focused. And I go back and forth with with it. There's there's
1: there was a period of time when I you know, said, yeah, you know, it's no big deal running a fox every now and then. They don't they don't go that far and and uh it, you know at least they're running something. You know where I hunt out here in this old desert our lion density is not very high. And, uh, the trailing conditions are terrible at best, you know, and, and I, you know, I've been kind of lazy. I don't load up and go into better country or, and, uh, so if they ran a Fox every now and then, at least they were trailing something, but gosh, darn it. You know, then you get to thinking, well, you've spent, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes messing around with this Fox here. When you could have been going further down the the road or the trail and and hitting a good lion track, you know, you're wasting time. So I know lots of guys, who, you know, they'll,
0: they'll, they don't, they'll, they really get after their dogs for running Fox. You know, you know, we go down to Texas and our dogs are bumping hogs or every now and then they're running deer. Or they're doing, they're doing dog stuff. And I still like to listen to a good race, you know, um, a good coyote race out here in the middle of the night in a in a cold, you know, January night. To listen to two really talented track dogs run a coyote, it's fun. I mean, them that's dogs, good. I know they're not supposed to be running a coyote, but, uh, you know, they got them great big hound mouths, and they're floating through the country, and they're making big circles, and they're doing a good job, and they usually don't run them all night. If they do, if they did run them all night, we'd have to put a stop to it. But when there ain't nothing else going on, I'm kind of in the boat. That You know, that's kind of a good race to listen to. <laughs> Well, that's what I always say. I get a little trashy sometimes too. I don't want to listen yeah. to it.
1: You know, and sometimes when you get one of those little foxes going down in a canyon or something where it's you know, conditions are pretty good and they got him up and going and and he's doing his little tricks, turning here and there and whatever, and you listen to those dogs, you know, it it it's 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 a lot of fun really. It's good listening. Yeah. The problem a lot of times in that rim country, you know, you get up there on that rock and and uh they'll trail that fox and that fox is he's not you they're not pushing him where he has to really run and get out of their way, he'll run a little ways and stop and run a little ways and stop. And, uh, they're just, they're cold trailing. And, and it's like cold yeah. trailing a lion. And, yeah. and that's a lot, that wastes a lot of time, you know, right there. And, and, uh, I, I know that, and, uh, you know, something else I found that those dogs will do is, is they'll cold trail a dang old coyote and, uh, that, you know, coyotes, javelina and deer are,
0: are, you know, absolute no-no's yeah you know i don't i i will break them i can i can understand the deer and there are deer like we have so many deer for every Mm -hmm. every hundred yards that dog travels he's going to cross a pretty good deer track and but our hounds you know they've got so much tree bred into them that they're just not normally they never make it an issue it's just not going to be a problem Mm -hmm. but you get a dog that that really wants the trail. And then when our trailing conditions are really good, uh, sometimes them young dogs, they'll really bust out of there on a deer. And we will stop that, you know, if it gets to be a problem, but sometimes when it's cold mm-hmm. like this and you want to hear a hound race, the one race is no different than the other on occasion either. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, you know, and
1: I've treed some foxes and I've treated some bobcats, but I think out here, sometimes the bobcat, you know, is the same category as a fox. You know, it, it's nice when you treat one, but you can sure waste a lot of time on them and never, you know, and never have a chance of getting one caught in this
0: desert. Do you guys have a bobcats?
1: No, not a lot, but we yeah. have enough. I mean, there's, there's trap. I, I used to help a trapper that, you know, he made his living trapping bobcats in this mm-hmm. country. Now he had a big, big area and, and our bobcats are, you know, they're big white spotted bellies. They're, they, yeah. at one time they're worth quite a bit of money. You know, they're not like those, the, the cats they have down in south texas that really aren't worth anything you know these are these are valuable
0: yeah no i get them i mean we had the last year i trapped for bobcats i think because i enjoy trapping and Mm -hmm. uh i'll do it when the coon prices are high because we have so many coons that you're not going to keep them all out of your sets, and you're going to have to skin a bunch of coons if you're going to put any steel on the ground whatsoever and so i don't trap you know unless the coons are pretty high but i think that last year on bobcats i averaged a 100 and $30, $140 Thirty dollars, one hundred forty dollars a piece, and so wow, you know you catch three or four of them a week. It pays your pays your gas, pays your trap bill, and yeah. pays all that stuff. So you know it's at least it's worth it. Yeah, we've
1: had I, I forget the year now, but I mean they were getting a a big you know big white spotted belly would bring four five hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean yeah. That, I think that was two
0: thousand thirteen is when that went boom and yeah. bust there in that year, because I know I averaged. 30 or twenty three fifty, I think on my coons and I never fleshed them or stretched them or anything because I was worried about the price going down. So I sold them every Tuesday. I would skin coons. Yeah. I would skin coons in the parking lot of the fur buyer that I'd caught (laughs) on the way there. I had traps set on the way there. And after I got done running them, I would skin them right there in the parking lot and uh, run them into the fur buyer and he would buy them. And I was lucky I did because my buddies that, that shipped to Canada uh, that year, I think they averaged fourteen, and only about sixty percent of their coons even sold. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you, so you, I you... got lucky. The fur buyer went out of business, but I got lucky. <laughs> he, he lost it, but you made <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, he did. He lost a bunch <laughs> of money. Well, you're but just bro, on top of it. Yeah. What? Uh, when did you get started doing this? Just, just doing the whole hound thing. Because not only for folks that don't know, and I like your stories uh YouTube channel the most. I like to sit down and watch that more than anything. But you know, you've been a content creator for a while, but you've been obviously in hounds a long time. And you're not just a hunter, but you're kind of a historian and you're in a con a content creator and stuff. What got you started in all this?
1: Well, I mean, years and years ago. I mean when I was just a kid, my dad had a construction yard in in town, in Albuquerque in town. And uh he brought me home a puppy. And it was a little curly haired, black and tan looking dog. And my grandpa told me, he said, he said, oh, that's an Aarondale. And I said, an Arondale? And he said, yeah, was, they're bear dogs. And I said, bear dogs. And uh, he, I, And in my mind, I can still remember it. I remember thinking, you can hunt bears with dogs, you know, because no one in our family did that. And then I got, you know, one thing led to another. And of course, you know, I'd heard where the red fern grows, just like all of us, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, fifth grade trying to cover up crying at our desk, you know, yeah. and, and I just got to, uh, you know, Elliot Barker and the dogs bark treed up in Northern New Mexico. He used a couple of Airedales and, and I got into all that and I, and, you know, and I bought some Airedales and I messed around with it for a while, you know, and of course I didn't know any different. I just, you know, I was kind of st- stuck on that because that's what I'd been told. And, and I, I, you know, I, you know, I asked after I got older, old, can you pause this for just a second? Yeah. Yeah. You're fine.
0: Sorry. Nope. You're I good. Don't want, I don't want that to carry on you That's what you're fine. I can't even hear it.
1: Yeah. And again, or. Yep. We're good. Go ahead, Brett. Anyway. So I messed around with them for a while and, and, uh, Started hearing about the lion hunters, you know, and the bear. Well, of course, uh, Mike Root was up above here and, and better known as a as a lion hunter, but he, you know, he caught lots of bears. And uh, when I heard about him, heard about Ross Johnson, I went up and met Ross Johnson. Matter of fact, Ross Johnson was on the place that I ended up buying, you know, years later. And of course, we didn't have the internet or didn't have any way, you know, everything I learned was just from word of mouth. And What year was that? Uh, That had to be about 80, 84, 83, 84, something like that. And, uh, heard about Henry. Oh, you know, then later on, I, I kind of started my own business and I got pretty broke. And, and, uh, I was down in Texas and I got to meet Henry McIntyre. And, uh, of course that, that was an experience that it probably, you know, changed the way i looked at things as much as anything as anybody just because i asked henry i said henry how do you hunt lions you know how do you hunt lions with dogs and he said i take good dogs into good lion country and i make big circles on my mule and i thought man that sounds like fun and sounds that's kind of the way you it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, i never not you know i never would have <laughs> thought it'd be that hard but uh yep. So it kind of stuck with me. And I thought, you know, those old guys, the way they hunt, you know, it kind of fascinated me anyway. And, uh, then I, you know, then different things happened. I remember Henry had a big old, he had lions in cages back then. And I, and I'd heard some things later on about what they were doing, but he had, I mean, lions in cages back there and had a big old stack of horns back there. And of course I was broke. And I seen those horns, and and uh, I said, "What do you do with those horns?" He said, "I'll let you haul them off." You, he said, "You you can have them if you'll haul them off for me." So I don't know what they were doing, you know. But (laughs) I hauled that pickup load of horns back to back home, and then sold them out of sold them at the flea market to some trader up there. I didn't want I didn't set up a table or anything with some traders up there, and I'd I'd take him, you know, four or five horns, and he'd he'd give me three or four bucks for them, and I'd have gas money. I don't know. And then they, they, you know, later on after trying to figure out where, how I learned about the hounds and started, you know, it, it had to be around 2001 or maybe the late 90s something like, that. I went, to, I had greyhounds or not greyhounds. We called them staghounds, uh, yep. big hairy dogs. And I ran coyotes with them and, uh, I caught a lion with them, you know, back, we didn't, we don't have a lot of open country here. So it's kind of hard to run those coyotes, you know, and, and, uh, yep. I couldn't do it the way they did, uh, you know, the way they do back, back further East, you know, Oklahoma and the panhandle and all that country. So I got where I was calling them in, calling in the coyotes and letting those dogs run them after I called them in. And, uh, those dogs got real smart about it. And then I started doing it on horseback and, uh, calling them in and we'd run them. It was a lot of fun, you know, and of course I, that sounds fun. Yeah, it was fun. I ended (laughs) I was kind of wild at that time. I was. Going through a divorce and everything, so yeah. we were, we were having a ball out there. Just I didn't it have was any the Wild money. West, there. literally. Yeah, and I didn't have any money then either. So yeah. it was it was a cheap entertainment, you know. And uh, I ended up catching that lion out there in the desert with those dogs. I got a video on my YouTube channel of that, and uh, and I was messing around with video at that time. This was way before YouTube or Facebook or yeah. anything like that. And, and uh, I there was a guy over in Arizona, Dave Carlson. Did you ever hear of Dave Carlson? I don't think so. He, uh, he trained dogs for people and he was a lion hunter and he yeah. sold dogs and did this and that. And he would do report cards on these, on dogs and he would video, you know, he'd take a dog in and train it and he'd video it. And then he called them these report cards. And then, uh, back before Facebook or, or YouTube, he had a website, but you could buy these videos these report cards of his dogs. And this guy was an absolute character on his videos. I mean, he just, he could cuss a blue streak and just drop in F bombs and everything. He was just something else. He was just who he was. And he, you know, he he was fun to listen to. And, uh, that was another thing that kind of led to me to making videos is what I bought his and I watched them and, uh, it was really entertaining.
0: (laughs) When you, when you made your first video, uh, was there an idea in mind that one day I'm gonna have a successful YouTube channel, or was it, you know, I'm just gonna play with this thing. It looks like it's fun to do. Uh let's give it a shot.
1: Well, start, you know, well, when I made the the lion, hunt, when I caught the lion with the dogs, I was pretending like I was like some kind of TV guy, you know. And yeah. uh, I was if you ever watch that video, you can just say, well, I, I don't know. It's got you know, I don't know what I didn't. I, at that time I didn't plan on anybody ever seeing that thing, you know, yeah. and then I caught the lion because that, and then I thought, well, I got to figure out a way to share this. And, and I, it, I, I made it. And I think I, I, uh, I don't even remember if I emailed it. I can't remember. I sent it to some people, but later on, when I lived off grid up there, I, I bought that place way up in the mountains. And I, and I had hounds, I'd, I'd already got into hounds and, and, uh, I had my business going at that time. And I had some people working for me that were, they were really smart and I didn't have to be right there to manage them. You know, I could make a phone call every mm-hmm. day and, and come in once a week, you know, and see them. And, and, uh, I'd call my wife and tell my wife with these stories about, you know, what, what happened that day, you know, where I went and this and that. And she told me, she said, well, you should keep a diary. And, uh, you know, and I, I got a whole stack of these things here that these diaries I bought that the year, you know, on them and everything. And I'd write for like three or four days and then I'd get lazy and I wouldn't write anymore, but I would pick up a camera and I would talk to that camera and, uh, started out, you know, just saying, well, today's January 15th, I'm taking, you know, solo and blackie and super Hoover up here in this Ridge. And we're going to see if that Tom line come through or whatever, you know, and I, and Most of the time it was just, you know, and it wasn't meant for anybody else, just for me to kind of document what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and also I was living off grid that time. And I was trying to learn about, you know, solar systems and different things like that. And, uh, that was right when YouTube had started. And I got on YouTube and I started learning about that. And I seen these guys making all these videos and I thought, shoot, you know, I ought to, I ought to try to do that. So I started trying to learn how to edit and and everything one thing led to another. And, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how all that got started. And, you know, you get into it. I mean, you, you've made some videos and stuff. You kind of yeah. get into it and you kind of try to learn how to tell a better story and how to,
0: how to, uh, make it entertaining for people, you know? so that's, You're kind uh, of, you're kind of an enigma in that to me, Brett Vaughn don't want, you know, a bunch of folks around him. He wants to be in the, in the hills with his dogs and his mule and uh we all get that i'm that way too and here i am doing the same thing you know (laughs) but we end up you know you end up the cameras with you and it's kind of almost like another human being there it gives you something to talk to something to converse with and you still even though guys like us want to be alone with our dogs and stuff we still want to express ourselves to people too and so do you think that maybe that camera was a little bit of a tool to help you along when, you know, when you're up there in the mountains all by yourself? Yeah, it's, it's, a,
1: I you know, it's a strange thing because I don't do anything social. I mean, yeah. I go to church every now and then, and and then like tomorrow morning, I take my dad to a little Bible study. And, uh, but other than that, I, I don't go to parties. I don't, I, and, and I hunt almost all the time by myself and, you know, after I've learned YouTube and I've started studying a little bit more, there's a lot of the the better youtubers or the people are uh what they call you know they call them introverts you know we're introverts yeah. we're we're yeah. we're just as happy being by ourselves as we are with any as being with anybody and I have no idea why it'd be so easy for people like us that are introverts to use a camera and act and and I mean, well, you've seen the videos. I can talk to a camera just like it's like somebody sitting there, you know? And, uh, I don't know. I have no idea why, why it is that way, but it is, I, you know, it's just the way it is.
0: Strangely enough, some of the better podcasters are introverts too, and they're good conversationalists. But I think a lot of that knack, um is the fact that they don't want to talk about themselves you know they want to talk mm-hmm. about their guests or learn things from their guests or glean things because you know you know i i'm enjoying sitting here visiting with brett vaughn right now but there's still that gap in between us you know you're not mm-hmm. it ain't like we're we're sitting here face to face a lot of that too but so i yeah it's a weird dynamic especially for it you is. that i can tell that a guy that just would rather be out in the hills with his <laughs> mule and his dogs and you know here you are and you've done really well, especially the last, I want to say what, Brett, the last two years, it seems like your stuff has just really exploded. And I'm enjoying watching it.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I got, I, I, I went and I got consulted it, and I consulted with a guy who, and, and and at the urging of my wife, my wife said, you know, she said, if you're going to do this, she you might as well learn how to do it right. You know, and, and, uh, I talked to this guy that's a real well-known YouTube consultant cost some money but uh and he and he made so much sense to me yeah. he said you know he said you're, you're you're making these videos and you're titling them lion hunting or lion hunting this and that or whatever he said they're just a small group of people in the world who are even interested in that that would even think about clicking he said well why don't you try to figure out how you can broaden your audience he said and, and you know what, what would be of interest to a broader audience? And there's some things that, that I thought about I said, Well, you know, I always have a destination and and what's the story about that destination. And, and if there's some kind of historical value to the, where I'm going or some kind of story about that, then share that. And he said, yeah. you're still hunting lions, but you're, you're broadening, you're making it a, to a broader audience. And what, after i started doing that what what i've noticed through the comments and and through talking to people you know i got one video it's got four hundred thousand views and uh i think i think because i you know when i'm when i'm out there if you watch my videos you know my, own, my of course my own mule passed away but i you know my mules my partner i you know i'm i, I She's just like someone else out there with me we I yep. take good care of her, you know, and, and people see that. And then they see how I interact with my dogs and, and how we're all, you know, we're all a group out there, you know, and we communicate with each other. And, and, uh, I think that maybe in the long run by people seeing that they say, Oh man, you know, instead of just seeing a bunch of dogs barking at the bottom of a tree and some guy shooting a lion out, they get to see more of what we're doing and, yeah. and how we're not just a bunch of bloodthirsty killers out there trying to kill everything. And it's not just a bunch of screaming, crapping dogs that you drop and they go taking off running. And you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people have the wrong impression. And uh, I think maybe, maybe, hopefully that through what I'm doing and, and hitting a broader audience, then they'll see, you know, more of what, what it's really like, how we really care about our animals. You know, well, and then it's not something bad. There
0: you Like I I was getting ready to say it before you touched on it, but there's such benefits from, you know, little things like title changes and little things that are, you're trying to improve your, or broaden your audience. Because the whole goal for me has always been, let's get hound hunting mainstream. I don't care if it's Eastern coons or it's Western lions or Mm -hmm. Northern bear or whatever, uh, Mm -hmm. because you know, probably more than I do about how the people are so unique and, uh, everybody in these in these town sports are a throwback to especially out there where you're at, you know, even to a bigger extent. And I think of places like Appalachia and, and the Ozarks, how they are a throwback to a different time still. You know, they, they yes, those, those stereotypes still exist. You know, that that southern hillbilly that just comes out of the hills with his dogs every now and then, they're there. I know them. Uh, they're friends of mine, you know, that that Western lion guy that you see come into town with his old truck pulling a stock trailer and a mule. And he's got a whole thing full of dogs that you may only see once every three or four months when he comes to town to get some, you know, some provisions of some sort. Those people exist and yeah, uh, yeah. not the, the world thinks they're only in movies <laughs> and, you know, no. and they're 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 actual people. And yeah they're not going to do it themselves they don't want any attention they don't want any clamor they just want to be out there with their dogs and their in their peaceful state of mind and all that stuff and so yeah it i think it's kind of a responsibility for some hound hunters like yourself and me to to bring that to people and let them know that we're just we're just folks that love what we do yeah and those and you know and those guys you're talking
1: about those are the guys who fascinated me. I mean, they mm-hmm. they give up so mm-hmm. much, so much in their life just to to pursue, you know, their hounds and lions or, you yeah. know, like you're talking about the the coon hunters back there that they have, uh, they gave it all up just to do that. Yeah. And uh, they live that life and they don't, you know, I'm a pretender. I mean, I, I go out and I, I try to hunt like they do. And I try to Uh, when I'm out there, you know, but I cheated, you know, I, I I had a business and I made money and I did things. These guys lived like church mice and uh, they didn't care, you know, and they did what they wanted to do, you know, seven days a week. And, uh, that those are the guys. And that's why I did the, 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 the interview stories and tales YouTube channel. It's like a passion project of mine because I want to, I've got, you know, of course I, I just got to, uh, went over and spent some time with Warner Glenn. And uh, I got to sit down and interview him. And then uh 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 Johnny Clump. Of course, Johnny Clump's not a lot older than me, but he's he's a you know, he's an old rancher, been out there in that country, so you know, he caught a jaguar back back before I think it was before Warner Glenn did. And uh of course he got in a little trouble about it. But uh these guys, those guys fascinate me. I mean they're yeah. they're they're just they lived a different life and they didn't give in to what you know, to pursuing the dollar, I guess is what it amounts to.
0: Yeah. And you're right about, and I, I thought of Keith up That's a man. I just went down and visited and I squirrel hunted with him. Uh, he's down in, uh, Oklahoma and I was down there with him for a day and we done the podcast, we went and seen his dogs and he talked about, cause this is, he's 65 now, 66, and he's been doing this since he was a little kid. And he's got his own strain of dogs that have some bird dog mixed in them and stuff. And they're just super talented dogs on both coons and squirrels, both. He's won all kinds of squirrel hunts. He's won a world championship or two. Wow. But he just talked about, he goes, well, you know, we were talking about how he's, he's getting up there. And he talked about the regrets that he had that, because he would squirrel hunt all day and coon hunt all night unless he was working. Uh, he, would, he would work. He would squirrel hunt. He would coon hunt. That's all he did. And he's, that's pretty much all he does, but, uh, he was talking about the regrets he had about the time he missed with his kids and his wife and all that stuff. But that was a fleeting moment in that seven hours that I was with him, that he said that, and he was right back into talking squirrel dogs. I mean, shortly after <laughs> his and eyes, as father, up he yeah, as a father and a husband, I get it. You know, we're, we're out there all night, we're out there all day and all this stuff, but you know, people are wired different. And yeah. those, those people that are wired like Keith Suttmiller aren't going to have a lot of cameras in their face unless someone goes out there and shows it to them. Yeah.
1: And even then, I mean, I've talked to several of these guys that, you know, I said, man, I'd like to come sit down and interview and they just look at me and say, well, yeah, you know, I'm really not interested in that.
0: Yeah one good thing about eastern coon hunters is they love attention <laughs> so i've got i've got a plethora of people that i could interview at, at any time there's a few there's a few but most of them they they like the limelight they like the spotlight but yeah it's uh it's such a unique culture and really brett and i haven't spent a lot of time with western houndsmen, but i've been I'm around them some and i've been up north and i've been out east and there's not a lot of difference in the type of of human that does that whether no matter the game that they that they choose to pick are you yeah, seeing think, about the same thing the same personality yeah. They, yeah they they were just i you know just
1: wired different i guess i don't know what it is i uh yeah that you know they're just different from the you know the bobcat hunters uh down in south texas or or uh Oklahoma. Or, and then I'm sure that I, I didn't know much about coon hunting. You know, I, I, you know, I ran some raccoons when I was, when I lived, I had a farm for a while and, and uh, we had a drainage ditch and pecan trees all around. We had quite a few raccoons and, yep. and I'd go out and, and run them, but I didn't know much except from when I was younger and red in full cry and, and this and that. I, but I didn't pay that much attention to it until I think I was talking to you. And uh in listening to the to the Houndsman XP podcast, I think sometimes nope. they're talking about how much money these guys win. It just like wow. I I I just could
0: not. That's unbelievable. I mean that, that no, that's I mean, something you, else. There's a chance to win twenty thousand dollars or more fifty weeks a year. Jeez. At least. And there's hundred thousand dollar hunts. They're getting ready to have a hunt down in Texas where the first place winner gets a brand new truck and a hundred thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, Lee. that's
0: that's but crazy. You know that, that's yeah. With that, there's some sacrifice. Um, oh, I bet the guys with the most money are going to have the best dog. You know, yeah, absolutely. And that's, just, that's that's the way it's going to be. But also, it gives guys like myself. An opportunity to go work for those guys with a lot of money. It gives myself the opportunity to take one of these four-month-old pups out here that I have in the kennel, uh, get them really good and ready to win and make a really good price. You know, when I go to sell that though you can know, sell him coo- for a lot a of good, money. Oh yeah, a good coon dog is going to go from bottom bottom tier uh, winners are going to be ten grand, and they'll go up all the way to 70000 dollars.
1: Oh, and I thought it was crazy to spend twenty thousand dollars for a lionhound. I seen one sold yep. for. I did for that see boy. that. I was I was really impressed by that. At that, it was an auction, wasn't it? Yeah, that auction yeah. they have up in yeah. northern New Mexico up here. They sold that dog, and, and I thought, man, alive! How'd you like to pay twenty thousand dollars for a dog and then turn him loose in some of this old rough, bluffy country, you know? And but they also told me, someone told me, because I was, you know, questioning it and everything. How would you? How would you go about that? How? I mean man, that sucker would be living in the house with me. But uh, they said you can buy insurance for them Mm -hmm. and that it's not that expensive. And
0: uh, I I know that because a lot of of the insurance on the Eastern Coonhounds, at least when I've I've had one dog insured, I think. And uh, it was, they would insure them for not always what they're worth, but what they had won. And then they'd factor in some of the titles. They had a whole thing in there, but I think I had dollar insured for, I don't know, seven, $8,000, but he was probably at that time of $15,000 dog, you yeah. know? So, I mean, it's, it's, but it helps, you know, <laughs> it's better than, it's better than nothing. But these guys, you know, I think of a dog like Laura Lee that I think I'm wanting to say Ryan paid 20,000 for her. And, uh, luckily he had her long enough to, to win his money back. And then some, I think she won around 80 or $90,000 in the short time that he had her. But, um, you know, eight months after he buys her, she's dead. She gets she gets hurt in a hunting accident and they can't save she's her. She's gone. Did they I mean it's just did they win the any money risk with take? her, did you say? Yeah. Or? Yeah, he got he got his money back in winnings and stuff. But yeah, you know, a lot of that was just you you got you they take a big risk with these dogs every time they turn yeah. them loose and you know, out east, especially in Ohio, Indiana, uh Louisiana, uh, not so much Louisiana, but Kentucky, Tennessee. There's a lot of houses now and a lot of roads uh, and a, a lot, lot of traffic. Ways. And so you're turning a hard going dog. That's going to be a couple miles from you at some, at some point in the night. And there's a big risk, you know, a lot of them get run over. I think of some really great ones that got killed on the road. Uh, Melvin know, got yeah. killed on the road and a few others. So, I mean, it's risk they take, but yeah. Yeah. Any none of mine, are, none of mine are good enough to ever get run over.
1: <laughs> Even <laughs> in this country. I, I got a good story about uh, I Mike Rude. I talked about him earlier. He was a, yeah uh, he's a, he's another character. I mean, he's a, he's a neat guy and I got to interview him. And, and, uh, when I was back in the early eighties, I went, I heard about him and I went up there in his yard and of course he was gone in the mountains hunting and his wife was there. And I never will forget. There was a whole litter of a bunch of little white walkers running all around the yard. And I'd gave my eye teeth, had a, had one of those pups, you know, and, and, uh, I asked the lady and she said, oh, no, he doesn't, he doesn't sell puppies to anybody. He won't need, he, he just soon something happened to him. sell them to somebody. I said, all right, you know, and I bet I, I didn't talk to Mike again. And then here it was about five years ago or right before I interviewed him five or six years ago, I got a phone call from him. He said, Hey, I got a couple puppies here for you if you want them. And, uh, <laughs> but I lost, I, I ended up losing one of those pups yeah. to a, a bear off a of bluff back way yeah. back in some rough country but anyway you never know when you t- put them on the ground you turn them loose you you know they might not come home with you that day
0: dogs are in less danger than because i mean one mean bear one cat that turned and the terrain that you guys have is probably more dangerous than the core you're hunting i assume oh yeah the bluffs the yeah. bluffs is what what gets them yeah
1: i mean but it's, no, I for just, lions i mean yeah now it's uh, the, uh go ahead I lost, I lost one dog to a bear, but it was, we started out on a lion and, and we tried lying yeah. up and dogs pulled up. There was a bear in a cave hole that was, that was in the winter time, you know, and, and that bear had been in there sleeping, I guess. And they woke him up and I didn't know it. And when we got there, we couldn't figure out what was going. on I seen the dogs going over the top of the hill, you know, or, and, uh, I heard them. And then, I, and then I remember hearing something and I thought that didn't sound good. And, uh, looked at the Garmin and, uh. Missy was just still up there and we were in a hurry. Cause we had some other dogs going we thought we had the lion jumped. And, uh, and I didn't realize, I didn't put it all together until later that it was a bear because it is some strange things happened. There was a tree there and a bluff and a cave hole. And, but the dog, but some, some of the dogs were still there and some of the dogs that took off. And, yeah. uh, when I finally got up there to where Missy was, she was laid across a bush, but she had blood coming out of her nose. And she, of course she was dead. And, uh, at first I just thought, well, the lion had got or something, you know, they caught that line on the ground, but then I, I, we, we couldn't find a track or anything booger and then went on over the hill. They never did stop it. But, uh, looking back on it now, what happened was, is there was a bear in that cave hole and some of those dogs pulled up and some of those other dogs didn't care anything about running bears. So they just, they just stopped right there. They didn't want to get, you know, they didn't want to run that bear and uh he turned around she always thought she was a little tougher than she was and he probably she and she was real fast and she probably got up on him and he squatted her and
0: broke oh. her neck what uh when it comes to that do you want a dog that's a little bit not that doesn't think it's too tough you yes. want a dog that's going to stay back yes i do i yeah i yeah. do
1: i don't want them getting down and that's the worst thing when you if you watch some of my videos it, you when you get there to him, you know, they might have a line out on the bluff and booger is notorious for it. You know, he's, he'll stay back, you know, he'll stay back and, and, and bay him. you know, and, and everything. But when you start getting close, he wants to get down next to him. And, uh, yeah, when you're on one of those big old bluffs, it's always scary. You know, it's, it's, and that's where they get killed. You know, they get knocked off or they slip, you know, and fall.
0: What's the, what's the scariest, uh, thing that's happened to you personally not just your dogs but when you're up there on them bluffs and you're trying to get your dogs back or you're trying to i assume that's why they all got to have a pretty good handle you know they got to yeah, call them and all that stuff yeah
1: i gotta call them i gotta be able to call them back yeah. uh i'm trying to think of when i've been scared
0: right or, or is it just another day in the office for brett Vaughn I, you know i don't i don't, don't
1: get I, I get scared for the dogs i i trying to think of myself you know this morning i was up there in those bluffs and i thought i could i thought well i can just sit down on my hind end and slide down this little thing and it was a little too steep for that it could have been it could have been worse than it was and i'm getting a little old you know just
0: getting up and down is 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 a little painful now (laughs) i'm 62 so (laughs) what about the mules when did you start when did you decide that mules are the way to go Ah, another one chasing them Another one of those
1: influences from somebody because i i i competitively team roped for for a while and and i mean at a high level and yeah. uh i was hunting i was i was lion hunting on a on a friend of mine's ranch and and uh he roped and his boy roped and and he and and uh real knowledgeable guy they've been ranching in that country forever and i was out there and i was riding one of my uh, young roping horse you know and it, it's pretty valuable horse and out there running it, you know, in that rock and stuff. And he said, Oh, he said, you got, you, he said, you got old Googles out here. And I said, yeah. He said, man, he said, if I hunted the way you did, he said, I'd get a mule. And I never will forget. He looked at me right in the eye. And he said, and get a good mule, you know, don't, Uh in other words, don't mess around with the, you know, a bad mule. And, uh, and that's kind of another strange story about that deal is, is of course, I didn't have any money or anything to go buy a mule at that time. And, uh, there was a company who owed me a bunch of money. They had owed me like $50,000 for three years. And uh, David Heiss called me and had told me, he said, Hey, there's two, there's a guy going through a divorce and his wife's selling his mules. He said, You can get them.
0: That's best good time to buy.
1: <laughs> yeah. He said, You can get a pretty good buy on them, you know. And I told my wife, I said, Man, I'd like to have those mules, but man, I just, you know, I just don't have enough money right now. I said, If those people pay me from, you know, that owe me. When they pay me, I said, I'll go buy those mules. And that day I checked the mail and I had a $50,000 check in the mail. Yeah. Most of it was already old owed, but I pulled $3,500 out of it. And I went and bought those two mules and, uh, I, you know, and I rode lots of horses. I was raised on a quarter horse ranch. My, my dad, you know, we broke colts and I trained horses. I trained roping horses and stuff. And, uh, but when I got those mules, I might as well had two camels out there. I didn't, you know, they are different than horses and, uh, and, uh, I, you know, I got where I like them, you know, they're, they're, they're a good tool for what we do. You know, they're tough. Gosh, don't mind They're tough. And, uh, as long as you're on their back for the most part, you're pretty safe.
0: Yeah. Hey, uh I got a lot of friends that coon hunt off mules or used to, it used to be a big deal around my mm-hmm. County. Everybody that hunted usually had a mule too. And that mm-hmm. was of course, before the invention of side-by-sides and, you know, now they can get a, new Polaris general with heat and air and all that stuff and drive it to every tree. You don't want that mule anymore, but it was, there's still some guys that ride them and it was a big deal. My brother, uh, he's a team roper too. He's got a big arena up here, just not too far from me. And he had mules at one time. And I never had one inkling to get on the back of one of them things. I've never liked horses. I've never liked mules. I thought if I fall and break a leg, I want it to be my fault. <laughs> you know, I don't want it to be, be an animal's fault but uh i can see especially in mountain country or rough country and then bluffs and stuff where they, they gotta they gotta save you some steps and they gotta they gotta make it easier on you surely oh yeah yeah i mean that and i was you know because my good mule
1: just died here uh yeah i seen that here a few a few days ago and like this morning when i was trying to follow those dogs you know and i was going up up that canyon and i thought man well you know I probably, of course I was going right with the dogs, but I thought, well, if I had my mule, what would I do? You know? And, and, and then you could, you know, you could ride around and hit a, hit a little easier spot to go up and, and, and intercept the dogs or get up there where you think they're going and, and, uh, be a lot easier, you know, but, and you don't mind making that mule do that. But if you had to walk around like I did, you might think twice about it.
0: What, uh, what do you got for mules now, now that you lost your good one?
1: I got a I got a mule out there that that I got my old Jet Johnson mule. I, I rode him for years, but he's on retirement. And then I've got a mule that I had packed, and uh, she's supposed to be broke to ride, but I've never, she's always been a little looky, I call it, just kind of boogery. And so all I did was pack her, I haven't rode her. I might go ahead and, and start riding her. I man, there's a mule up north that I would give my eye teeth for. I mean, this mule, you could go to a jackpot team roping and rope on him. I mean, he's he's fast and he handles, he sits on his hind end, he turns around nice. And uh then you can they have video of him them shooting between his ears and and he's packed out lots of hogs. They were they hunted hogs and uh the little grandkids, you know, three or four-year-old kids riding him around and then Walking between his legs and I mean, this is this is a nice mule, but the guy paid twenty six thousand dollars for this mule. Yeah. He said, I'll take a little bit of a loss, but not much. So I don't know. I've been thinking, how in the world can I make me twenty thousand dollars?
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you just get you a good coon dog. <laughs> you come out here and pay an entry fee, you can get it. You get it in one weekend. <laughs> I, I got a feeling those good coon hunters would laugh at me if I showed up. <laughs> you'd be surprised. I think you'd actually fit in pretty well, Brett. They and the thing is, you go to some of these hunts anymore, and you know we're out in a fancy steakhouse, and we're they they pull up in you know hundred thousand dollar trucks and stuff. But even the guys that have been successful in their lives, they usually all started out the same place they all started yeah. out in a trailer park or out in the woods somewhere and didn't have much money or nothing, just like we did. And then all of a sudden they get some success, but that inner houndsman never leaves. them. And I think yeah. that's what makes, you know, these lion guys and the coon hunters so similar, you know, they just, oh, yeah. they get it in their blood and they can't get away from it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that. I just couldn't, I couldn't believe how much money they, they hunt for and then the i started listening pay attention you know how they how they run the competitions and how you know the the casts and and yeah, calling your dog treat and and circle points is that something that i heard yeah right yeah circle and all points. that i have no idea what all that means but I, I started paying a lot more attention and now used to when i'd hear you know a podcast and they were going to be talking you know, coon hunting or something. I wasn't really that interested in it, but now,
0: man, I, I listened to it and I tried, I thought, wow, this is interesting. Well, that's <laughs> one positive, one positive of all the money coming into the sport is it, it gets people's attention. You know, it sure. really does and brings it to it. And, you know, squirrel hunting's is getting the same way. They really? have, they have truck hunts for squirrel dogs. They have, uh, I think the JPI, the Calcutta raised like 30 some thousand dollars or something crazy like that. I mean, they have, huge squirrel hunts now and i would it's just been it's it's kind of following the route that the coon hunters took i was gonna say that would suit me probably a little
1: bit better because that happens during the daytime doesn't it
0: yeah it does but they don't bark on the ground much and that that Um, never did they'll just fall treed and they'll have a squirrel most of the time and yeah i mean i like it it's cool to do but i actually one of my walker dogs out here my my well he's actually laying in bed with me or laying in the living room with me right now but he uh he just bred a, a brindle kerr female that we're going to try to make squirrel dogs out of a neighbor guy had to had a squirrel tree and cur dog and he wanted to make coon house <laughs> he wanted a something he could hunt coons with at night too so he brought her over here to my male walker and i told him i'd breed for a pup and i'm going to find i talked to one of my buddies in louisiana it's a big squirrel hunter and i said will you raise it and train it and get it to where it can win in a hunt and then i'll just go handle it (laughs) i said because that's about as much squirrel hunting as i want to do and i said we'll partner on it i'll pay the entry fees and then i'll go handle the dog i said if it ain't no good it ain't no good and we can just make it a pleasure dog or something but i don't have any they don't bark on the ground you like that trailing i like to hear a dog trail you know and i don't want i like silent dogs in a cast you know, because they don't draw a lot of attention to it to you, and they're good about being alone. They're always by themselves. It's easier for them to be by themselves. But uh when I'm pleasure hunting and I'm out for fun, I want something I can hear, something that's that's yeah. open trailing and and moving moving a good track. That's the, probably the funnest part to me. That's like cold trailing a lion. I mean, that's just to just you know
1: work watch those dogs work and work and 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 trail and you know, and it's it's a real slow paced. I mean, it's yeah. it's nothing nothing real fast and then you know and then you you have that lose and those dogs are working and they're going and then you know like like al runs up there ahead you know and he's working he hits it way up there, ball and then they all you know go to him and then it's just uh i don't know it's it's fun then you find that big old lion track and oh man we're going the right way and Mm -hmm. that's it's exciting
0: do you still get your blood pumping on a good line track just like you did when you first started Absolutely. I mean, I haven't yeah. caught that many lions.
1: I, you know, not like a lot of these guys, but, uh, yeah, like I, I got a video. Matter of fact, I'll have a video coming out this afternoon. And and really the video is about me packing my nephew into some remote country. He drew a deer tag for a, a unit that I, matter of fact, is a unit where I used to live up there. And, uh, so I, I just, uh, This was before my mule died and uh, I was packing one mule and riding another mule and I camp and I go up there and I set up a canvas tent and everything for him. And there was some snow on the North slopes and I had some young dogs with me and I had my old dog P with me and coming out after I'd set up the tent and everything, I was coming out, riding down that same trail that we went in and uh, on that North slope, man, I I watched P and P was whipping her tail and pretty soon she started opening and I thought, oh, i be dang, I thought, you know, in the, in the middle of the day like that, I don't know. I just assumed, I said, oh, she's foxing on me. And then the young dogs, I had Iris there and she was whipping her tail and she, she's pretty silent, but she was, she went up ahead and she opened up a few times and I'm just riding down the trail and I look down, there's the biggest Tom lion track I ever seen coming in right over the top of my tracks. So, you know, that big sucker knew I yeah. was in there. He was walking over yeah. my tracks. He was probably curious. Of course, we were going backwards on him. And it was too late in the afternoon, too rough a country, you know, for us to turn around, go try to get him caught. So I called Mike and and because he, you know, that's what he does, he guides hunters for a living. And and I told I asked him, I, I said, Do you have any clients in? You know, I said, because there's a a big, big tom line, as big a track as I've ever seen going in. I, I gave directions to where it was. And he said, Oh, he said, That's over there in that bluffy, rough country off of East Curtis Canyon, isn't it? And I said, Yes, sir. He said, well, he said, you better take two tortillas and a big jar of peanut butter if you're going into that country, he said, because that's pretty rough. I said, I know. I said, I've been in there. I said, I'm not going. I thought you might want to. He said, oh, he said, I might. I might take these guys somewhere else. So
0: <laughs> what uh, What constitutes rough country out there? I mean, what's the difference between good country and, and rough country? Uh, probably the the
1: i in my opinion is is they don't work the trails in that country you know if they work the trails and there's enough you know that people have been riding that country forever and if if somebody could go in there and work the trails of course it's all designated wilderness so you got to do it all by hand and you can't take a chainsaw or anything in there and uh if you work the trails it probably wouldn't be that bad i mean it's bluffy country and uh all the advantage goes to the lion when you get in there, you know, cause they can go through those bluffs and and yeah. your dogs get hung up and everything. But, and, and then, you know, you can't, there's not like you hit a road or, you know, you're in, like if you're in your buggy and you hit a road, you, you say, ah, oh, those dogs are heading over there. You know, we'll just drive, drive around and get over here closer to them. Well, you're not going to do that. Yeah. So you got to be yeah. on a mule or be in really, really good shape. And, and and carry your backpack and stuff with you because once you go in you know you go in five or six miles and then or further than that you know you might end up having to stay and i've had to you know lay out back in that country before you know three or four times and it's you better have your stuff with you that's one of the reasons i started taking a pack mule often is just to carry some some supplies you know in case you have to lay out
0: what about what are you looking for because it's such a different my game so much different than yours. Ours is about speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't speed and accuracy. Uh, mm-hmm. They got to be quick. They got to be accurate. And we're turning loose. We're the game that we're hunting. We're going to have tracks pretty easy. Uh, but our dogs are super independent. Um, they're bred to be alone and they're trained to be alone. And so we don't want them cold trailing nothing. If it's yeah. not a track that they can't finish in a hurry and they don't need to be messing with it as a matter of fact when they're young um, we will push them off them bad tracks we don't want them messing around with the bag trap because we're on the clock but your dogs they have to really grind it out in that dry gown country and so what's something that you're looking at other than you know we hear cold nose hot nose all that stuff but a dog's got to have a certain mindset to do what you're doing and how do you recognize that
1: well, you know, and I think that's, that's a big debate that we've had, you know, a buddy of mine is, uh, Cody King, you know, and he catches, you know, he he'll catch a hundred bobcats a year down in South Texas, but there's a, he's got a friend of his and Cody's caught some lions too. He's got a friend of his that he, of course, and they're using running walkers and, yep. and, and the big thing that, that we, that the old time dry ground lion hunters say, well, they don't have a nose, they don't have enough nose. To, to you know hunt lions in this country but then they say you know the cody has a friend that's kind of switched from bobcats and 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 runs uh lions all the time now and he runs in you know some pretty desolate dry country and he catches a lot of lions and uh he said that you know the, those dogs develop more of a nose when they're allowed to you know when they have to they have the desire to to catch and the desire to, uh, to, to hunt allows them to develop a better nose. But then you'll talk to, I got friends and I got, you know, good lion hunt hunting friends that say, no, it's genetics. You got to have those genetics for those dogs to have that cold nose. And, and there's a lot of these guys, you know, those Southern Arizona lion hunters, they didn't ever want to let those dogs out that had that, you know, that yeah. had that old cold nose, you know, trail a two-day-old track through the through the dirt. You know, they didn't want to let them out. They they want to keep them all to themselves because they believe that that's you know. And that and I'm I'm kind of in between. I don't know. I don't know what's true and what's not. I I think if you I think if you had a really good lion population, if you had if the density was great, then you'd want a hotter-nosed dog, and and have a fast-walking mule and just cover the country until you hit that hot track. And if and if that's all you want to do is catch lions, but if you you know. If, I love to watch a dog cold trail. I love to, I like a cold nose. I mean, I trailed lion up here one time and uh, we trailed through a camera, a game camera I had. And uh, I went back and checked the picture after I didn't have a way to read the picture then when we went through there. And I was two days behind that lion. And I was more tickled with that than I was about to cut the lion. And I trailed all day long. I trailed all day long on that lion. And I thought, golly, that that is something. Now, if, if if I'd had enough dog power, and uh, I could have, I, I at that time I was still running my business, and could have gone back the next day and hit that track again. I mean, my, I that would be so much fun to me is to hit a track every hit that, stay on the same lion until you could get him caught. You mm-hmm. know, three or four days to me that would be like the ultimate. And that's what those old timers used to do. They'd get on a lion, they just stay on them. And, uh, of course we all hear the stories about Ben Lilly and stuff like that, yeah, but yeah. how he could do it. And, uh, that to me, that's, and that takes a cold nose dog a dog who really wants to work a track. And, and, uh, but if you want to kill lions, just kill lions. I think maybe, and you're in the right kind of country, you know, maybe a hotter nose dog is better.
0: How many, cause I know in all dog sports and through joy dog food, of course, and all the working dogs that I've been around and been with, cause I love to waterfowl hunt. I've had retrievers, you know, I love upland hunting. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had English setters for a long time along with my hounds, but most everybody I know with working dogs doesn't really care if they're killing anything. You know, it's not about taking the game. It's about, mm-hmm. about the dogs and, and, you molding that animal into something that, that pleases you not necessarily that pleases everybody else. But I don't know if my ADD, I think that walkers have the same problem I had, as we all have ADD. <laughs> You're hot nosed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We're all hot nosed, but it's just, it's just such a different game. And you just talked about how, what pleases you is, is getting that track and grubbing that, that old cold track up and watching those dogs work. Whereas you know, somebody else, you know, wants to, wants to catch a bunch of lines, wants to see, not necessarily just to kill them, but just wants to tree a bunch of lions and see that, you know, put them numbers on the board or a guy like me that wants to tree 10 coons per hour instead of, you know, the one that my dogs have been treeing here lately. So I think maybe our dogs mimic, um, I don't, I don't think it's an ability thing. Yes, some dogs are naturally blessed with more ability than others, mm-hmm. but I think they're just going to mimic what we want you know if we do it right
1: well and and i think this is something me and another guy were discussing the other day and i called him up and i said you know uh i think these dogs these great lion hounds that that we all hear about and some people have i think as much dry ground dogs especially as much as anything is they have a big brain they're real smart
0: Now, I don't you know, think it's anything to do with the ability to smell anything. I think it's more to do with the ability to decipher yeah. what they're smelling. Yeah. And that's I've my theory. A, I may be wrong too.
1: I got a female in, 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 you know, I think they know what you want. I They, they feel what you, what you want. And, and like, I have this female dog and I kind of, I, I, I almost ruined her when she was young and, uh, she came from, from, uh, uh, Larry Hendricks, she, she's Larry Hendricks, bred dog, famous dry ground lion hunter, lion hunter out here, you know, that's, has, has was known for good dogs, really good yep. lion hounds. And that dog, I, I got a video of it. I tell her, go get in her pen. You know, we come in, I say, go get in. And she'd go around and go down the alley and her pen would be latched shut. She opened the latch and get in her pen on her own. <laughs> I mean, that's, that to me, that's for an old hound, you know, that, that to me, that's, that's smart. That's a, that's a real biddable dog wants to listen to you. And, you know, and you get a dog like that has a brain like that. And you go out there and you show them lion tracks and you get that excitement when you see that lion track and they're working a track and and they feel that excitement. And I think they just try that much harder.
0: Yeah. Do you think, and my theory has always been the amount of time we spend with them is going to equate to the brains that they have. but not necessarily just hunting, you know, just being around, you know, you look at this dog laying here next to me has probably got 250,000 miles on him just in the back of the truck. And, uh, he knows what I want. Now, sometimes he don't have the ability to do what I want, (laughs) Yeah. but, uh, you know, these dogs, I don't, I, I think they're way smarter than we give them credit for. And you're not going to see that until you spend just hours upon hours and months and months and months and years with them.
1: Yeah, and lots of lots of miles, you know. We I remember when I was living up there on the mountain, you know, we'd go out all day long and you know, it'd get to be we'd stop to eat lunch and you know, one o'clock or so I'd decide I wanted to take a nap and I'd lean up against a tree and you know, and all those dogs, you know, I might have eight hound dogs with me and they'd all curl up all around me and they'd take a nap too, you know. And pretty soon I'd hear Solo over there messing around, it's time to get up and go, you know. He was he said, That's enough nap time, we're gonna go hunt now. Uh, yeah, we just go through the kind Now, sometimes they have their own agenda and you kind of got to convince
0: but them. But they that. know they're not supposed to usually. My, yeah. Mine always, mine always just decide that, you know, I know dad's not going to like this, but <laughs> yeah. I'm doing it anyway. And <laughs> yeah. the repercussions are worth the reward that I'm going to get out of this thing that I'm not supposed to be doing. <laughs> well, that, you know, speaking
1: of solo, he's, he's a daddy of a bunch of, he, he, he sired a bunch of good dogs Yeah, and, uh. You'd leave in the morning, man, he'd be a broke sucker. You were across Avalina and Coyote and everything. He went in a trail and we were looking for a lion track. Then you'd be coming back in the afternoon, you know, it'd be getting pretty late, you know, be dark in about an hour and you're tired. You'd ride riding, I'd be riding my mule down through there and I'd have all those other dogs around me and I'd look and i say, where is Solo? And all of a sudden you hear him up a side canyon up there, Roar!
0: he'd go find <laughs> something to trail, you know, but that's just the way he was. Well, Brett, what do you got in store for not just the YouTube channel, but you, uh, yeah, I know it's lying time right down, down there right now. You're hunting, you were hunting this morning when I talked to you. Uh, what's, uh, what's in for the future of Brett Vaughn?
1: Yeah, I, uh, of course I got to find me a mule. I want I want to hunt as much as I can. You know, I'm 62 and I sold my business. I'm retired. I had some health issues this year you know i I think that all comes from retiring it's just like yeah it was some stress or something i don't know but i i feel good and they give got a clean bill of health um uh, mm. i want to hunt and then i you know i want to continue with of course we do our little uh, we we started out doing a little live deal matter of fact you came on one time I did on, yep. on monday nights and yep. uh it, it started out with me and just uh uh chris uh uh watson he has antidote of a houndsman uh, YouTube channel. And then George Lambert, big time, yep. uh, bear hunter down in, in, uh, Virginia. Yep. And then yep. another guy, John, he's a preacher. He just, he's, he loves hounds and stuff. And he come on with, and they all had YouTube channels and we would get on and, and we weren't even going live there for a long time. We would just get on. I I got that little program and, uh, we'd get on and just, discuss and i try to help them with what i've learned through youtube you know how to make your 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 channel better and this and that And we're one night we said oh we ought to just go live so we started going live on monday nights and uh one thing led to another and and, uh, now we got you know we've had cody king on we got benny griffin on he's he's old time dry ground lion hunter and and i had otis Llewellyn on one time i want to get him back on and and uh so we started started recording those and going live on YouTube, and then uh, uh, W Hunting Supply is going to going to rebroadcast them on their podcast. I think they are. If yeah. they like them, you know I, yeah. I talked to Buddy, and we kind of made a deal. And then I'm going to still. I got uh, some guys that I've I've talked to uh, and recorded that I will share on the on the podcast that I haven't shared yet. Uh, Like Warner Glenn, I went down and then John Klump, I did part of his. I got to go back and and finish up with him. And I got some other guys I want to go talk to. And those are all the old houndsmen. That's kind of my, my passion, you know, is is talk to those guys and, and that'll all be on, on my YouTube channel. And then also on, on W Hunting Supplies podcast and uh, my born 100 years too late, that's still going to be me riding around on my mule, going to these destinations, you know, and I got There's also another thing that fascinates me is taking some of these, what, long rides, they call them, you know, go on my mule and take a pack mule and, and I want to ride the Butterfield Trail through New Mexico, probably take me about seven or eight days and different trails, different places, you know, and, and go spend, uh, you know, five or six days out like they did back in the old days. Like I was, if I was born a hundred years ago.
0: Well, it's a perfect name for your YouTube channel, Brett. And I know, I think I've talked to you about that before whenever we spoke in the past, but yeah, you, you nailed that. That was, that was it. Because there's a few, and I, I wouldn't say a 100 years too late. I'm maybe 30 or 40 years too late. I still want air conditioning and all that other stuff. You don't but, want to get uh, on a mule. No, I'm not riding no mule. And that's one thing, you know, because I've got open invitations to go lion hunting up in Montana and Wyoming, And uh, I am actually, I was supposed to leave to go hunt with Shorty today, uh, but I'm going to leave, I think I'm going to leave on Sunday. Now our weather came in, I don't want to leave the dogs in the house when it's 20 below zero and there's two foot of snow on the ground. But uh, one of the things that prevented me from going with the mother is like, look dude, I ain't riding no horse. I I stay in pretty good shape. I can walk. Oh, you can't, you can't walk in this. You can't walk in this. I said, well, I'll walk and die of frostbite in Montana before (laughs) I'll get on the back of that horse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not for everybody, I guess. <laughs> no, no, it's definitely not for me. I think I still have some, uh, some kind of issues from when I was little. Cause my brother's a team roper and has been for a long time and he's yeah. always loved horses and I was raised yeah. around horses, but he built me a chute one time when I was six, uh, oh, wow. out of an old washing machine box. And then I would run out of it. He's six years older than me and I would run out of it. And he would rope me and drag me around the yard a little bit. And if I didn't do it, he'd beat me up. And so, you know, nobody was there to stop him at the time. <laughs> I knew it was a couple hours before grandma got home and was gonna make him quit. And I've never been on a horse sensor around one. So maybe that oh, was wow. maybe that was what cured me. <laughs> oh yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah, we Yeah, that's I don't know. That's kind of while well, my plans are keep making my videos. I'm, you know, yeah. that's I got a I got another story about something that happened. See my wife, she's kind of a uh she writes poems. She's always wrote all these poems for a long time, and uh, she just writes them, puts them in a drawer. And and she wrote one for me one time, and uh, I looked. At her, I said, I told my wife Tammy. I said, Tammy, this is really good. This is real good. And uh, I was listening to Clay Newcomb's podcast, uh, "The Render Bear Grease Render." I guess mm-hmm. they call it. And there was a guy on there named uh, uh, Hayden, Hayden Powell. And Hayden has a YouTube channel and uh, he, he comments on my videos, and then I've commented on his videos. And this guy is a musician. I mean, a heck of a musician.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, I, he sang a song on Clay's podcast and can play the guitar. And, and come to find out, he spent, you know, like a year in Nashville or something kind of a big time. So I sent him a message right away. I said, man, I must've been living up under a rock. I didn't know you were a musician. I said, do you, do you, I know you write your own songs, but would you consider putting music to someone else's lyrics? And he said, sure. I'd like, I'll I'll look at it. And I sent him at that point, my wife wrote me and he wrote me back right away. And he said, man, this thing is good. He said, this is, and he's put it to music. And I mean, it, it, I played it at the house. I, I yeah. turned it everybody. Everybody got choked up. I mean, everybody just, including me, I, I couldn't believe it It sounded so good. So, uh, I was just going to tell everybody in the podcast world what listen for it because we're going to, him and I are going to, he's, he had his band come in. He did a studio deal with it and got it all. That's awesome. Professional. And, uh, we're going to make some kind of, well, I'm going to, I think if I have to load up my mules and go to Arkansas and, And, uh, him and I are going to make a music video and use that and, and, and use that song. So
0: I can just see Brett Vaughn walking into the country music awards right now with (laughs) wife in hand.
1: (laughs) I'll send her.
0: (laughs) I think I'll stay outside. (laughs) They may not let you in anyway. That's what I, I asked Hayden. I said,
1: uh, I said, we're going to make a music video. I said, I know you can play the guitar and I know you can sing, but can you act? And he said, "Well, I was in Nashville for a year, and I had to act like I was happy." <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> yeah. Brett, I appreciate you coming on here. Why don't you tell oh, everybody yeah. exactly all all your YouTube channels and all that stuff? How they can get a hold of you if they want to, and all that good stuff. Yeah, the, the
1: born one hundred years too late. That's you know me on a mule and a bunch of hounds, usually riding through the desert or through the hills somewhere. And uh, and then I have the interview stories and tales and tales is kind of T A I L S and uh, that's where we go live on Monday nights and uh, also I have these interviews that I that I've done of of the older I, I like to talk to these older houndsmen or older guys who've, who've kind of lived a unique life and uh, that's it and then of course everything on it will be available through the uh, the W Hunt and Supply podcast so that that's that's enough
0: (laughs) i appreciate you brett i'm gonna gonna check that live stream out tonight now that i'm snowed in on a monday night usually i'm hunting about that time this time of year you know but weather's so bad here i'll check the live stream out tonight i know we're recording this on a monday so but yeah everybody uh you're gonna love born 100 years too late and the Tales. Um, that's personally my favorite. I like watching them old guys, even though I don't know nothing about lion hunting. And Sometimes you had that one coon hunter that you sent me. That was really good. That was interesting that you sent me that video, but there's some really good stuff on that. So, uh, everybody go check it out. Thank you. I I appreciate you letting me come on. Yep. Brett, I appreciate you being here. Uh, you guys, thanks for joining us. This is the Fueled by Joy Working Dog Podcast. This is Josh Michaelis, and we will see you next week.